DCM works. David forgot to do this, so here I am recording it now. Play the intro. Hey guys, welcome back to the Alfredo's podcast, the interview series. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. So, guest, who are you? Uh, hi, my name's Sean Carney. Uh, I am a writer. I've got a play coming out uh, right now at the moment. It's on at the moment. It's called Dracula Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, and I can be heard pretty much weekly on Sandspans Radio's Movie Maintenance Show. Nice. I like that you led with writer. That's um, It's one of those identifiers that I think the minute that you are a writer, that you've got something published, that's your first thing that you go to. It's interesting. I, I always think that's, yeah. I don't feel like I've said that before. Really? <laughs> like, that's like the hey, first time. Hi, I'm a writer. Yeah, I Hi, I write. It sounds kind of like, you're like, am I saying that I'm unemployed? How does that, how are they going to read that? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> a lot of people have some presumptions they take with that. Yeah. How I don't you, know. Before then, okay, that's interesting though. I want to touch on that. So, so with that descriptor that comes with writer and, you know, you mentioned obviously the work you're working on because that's what we're here to talk about. But yep. as far as when you think of yourself in... The, I'm doing, you can't see that, it's a podcast, but um, as far as like the landscape that we're in, because obviously it's like you've got podcasting, you've got YouTube, you've got all the stuff that goes on these days, all the, all the different new media. Where do you think writer fits into that these days? Because it's kind of a tough, it's a tough role to have. I'd like to think it's becoming more important. And I think it's 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 weird. It's been like this weird thing where, where TV's really kicked it up a notch with things like Breaking Bad. And now I think writers uh, oddly have more respect because it's more like they're running the show now, and um, I don't know. I feel good about it. I don't really. <laughs> yeah. Have, yeah. What's a positive? What's a positive emotion? Yeah. No, I've you never probably really thought that. of it. Yeah. yeah. It's. I get asked that a lot um, when I tell people. They're like, "Oh, what do you do?" And you're like, "Oh, well, I write books, but also pod- I run a podcasting network." And they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. What does the writing have to do with the other thing?" And because there's no connection for a lot of people. It's it's funny when sometimes you tell people, yeah, I like I've written a novel or something like that, and mm. it's weird when I find it weird when some people just go, oh, okay, and they don't ask. Like my instinct <laughs> would be like, hey, what's your novel about? You know, but some people are just like, yeah, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> As a writer, though, I'm I'm always like, I suppose it's different for us because we have common vernacular, right? Like you have language yeah. that you can, you you know, obviously, like like any industry. You have specific language that is applicable to what you talk about, and it's often quite sophisticated. So, an example that we always talk about is like gamers. So, people that play video games have like this whole range of words they use that I don't understand. They just have like this yeah. whole smattering. Writers are much the same. You're like, oh, what book are you working on? And you'll be like, oh, well, it's kind of like it's kind of like a, a dystopian sci-fi thriller, but the internal genre is kind of like a coming of age. And you know what that kind of means. Whereas yeah. for someone outside of that, if they're like, oh, what are you writing about? And you're like, oh, sky pirates. That, that's it's <laughs> kind of a different um, equation for them, but you make I, that, that's interesting though. So you've obviously got the current play that's about to open tomorrow when we record this. Yep, this will hopefully go up tomorrow as well. So with that play underway, and you know, working from the material you developed on movie maintenance, which is the show that the podcast you're on, yep. could you sort of talk me through a bit about how that pitch came about in the first place? So how you kind of landed on the Dracula idea? Uh, I watched the. Francis Ford Coppola, Dracula. I don't know. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I have. It's it quite an experience. Is, oh, yeah. It is garbage. I actually quite like Gary uh, Oldman's performance in it. He's pretty good as Dracula. But yeah. the, it's it's to this day, it's the most bizarre film I've ever seen. And I think I watched it first when I was about 14. And at the time, I was like, what 
the what? What's going on? Um, I don't know. I've so always young. liked <laughs> so the young character. For something so weird as well. Yeah, I know. It's right? not good. It's not good. I think my sister had mentioned it. Like she watched it. She yeah. said, "Told me she watched it for school or something." And then watching it, I'm like, "How did they play this in Jeez. school? This is ridiculous. Complete garbage." Um, yeah. <laughs> but I. I've always liked the character of Dracula. Um, that was probably the entry point to it. And it was at a time when we were sort of, um, I think we were planning to do like a horror month for movie maintenance um, okay. back in October last year. And yeah, I just, I think I pitched it to Gabe. I was kind of like, hey man, I've kind of got a bit of a take on Dracula because I always wanted to do this, explore the part, you know, in the book where they Dracula sailed from Romania to London on the ship. Yeah. And I pitched the idea to Gabe. Um, I knew how to get him because I was like, it's Silence of the Lambs on the high seas. And he was like, yes, sign me up. Great. But yeah, he said you, straight away. The only yeah, thing you could have added would be cowboys. And he would have just, that would have been yeah, the right. only other story. Yeah, he would have been like, I'm in totally. Like, give me, oh, here's all my money. Yeah. And I was like, Dracula's Mads Mickelson. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. But um, no, he said to me, uh, you should do it as a play. It sounds like a really good idea for a play. And I hadn't thought mm. of. Um, doing anything for theatre at that point. Like, this mm. is my first my first play. So, I was like, oh, um, all right, cool. So, I, I focused on the pitch for Movie Maintenance and then we just kept talking about doing it as a play and it sort of developed from there. I think that's t- how that tends to go as well for, especially in a kind of shared environment like that, it's very much you gestate on the idea for a while and then eventually you just it, you just kind of come to it and you're like, oh, of yeah, course sure. it's this thing. And so, with that, you 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 said that that was your first kind of play. What was that like, uh, changing gears from what you had been doing previously? So, so talk us through what you, I guess, yeah, what, what were you writing kind of previously? And then what was the difference between that and working on a play? So I, I did a master's in screenwriting at VCA in Melbourne. And, um, so I've, I've been doing screenwriting for two or three years and, uh, you know, feature films, uh, TV shows, web series, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it kind of drastically different, but, the structural elements kind of remain the same. When I, when Gabe said do Dracula as a play, I was kind of like, well, how do I approach it sort of in three acts? And I originally designed it as like three long scenes. It was just going to be these three chunks. And as you've seen, now you've um, read it, you know, it's sort of, uh, there's a little bit more to it now. It's seven yeah, or eight it's, it's scenes got some, and it's bigger. Yeah, it's got some legs and, in yeah. between, yeah. Yeah. Um, but structurally, I just approached it the same. I was kind of like, if this was going to be a film like what I pitched on the movie maintenance episode, I was like, but how do I, how do I sort of not bring it down, but you know, like adapt it to stage, I guess. How do I tell the same story? Yeah, I know what you mean. In the most it's economical sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You can't have like a thousand gunshots or like cool special effects. You have to be like, how do five people on a stage make this work in a way that's compelling? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting process just seeing sort of i mean because i i because my background i guess is screenwriting i tend to write probably more cinematic moments and you just kind of have to slowly pull them back as you do each draft of the play and you can still leave you know aspects of that in there but it it, that's sort of that's the balance you've got to hit i think with a play i haven't approached it really any differently i still sort of go all right what's the theme what's the story what's the character's sort of motivations and then it's just yeah i don't know it's 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 been kind of weird i i haven't (laughs) Gabe's, I've seen um, most of Gabe's plays yeah, here in Melbourne. Yeah, but he's so prolific, to, there's a lot of Absolutely, those. yeah. It's like yeah. three or four a year. Exactly. Um, but prior to that, like I, I haven't seen a lot of stuff on stage. I haven't read a lot of um, plays. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm coming at it from probably a weird angle, but I don't know. I, I think thought that working. was, I, well, I thought that was why it was interesting as I was reading through it, is that um, 
one of my favorite playwrights is Oscar Wilde. Um, I love Importance of yep. Being Earnest. Um, and one of the things that he does very well is he doesn't focus too much on the medium. He focuses sure. on the characters and, and the intentions. And obviously that's a comedy, but the way that he approaches it was, very, he, the way that he approached it was very different to how a lot of other playwrights were doing it. And that, I, I kind of feel a similar aesthetic in your work in that most of the sequences we get throughout and most of the scene or the, the, the next level down, the scenes themselves are very much what do these characters want and how they're going to get it? And then what are the, what's the conflict from that? And that's obviously how you write scenes as a writer. But I think it's a bit different from how most plays I've seen tend to treat it. So there's kind of, I always think of it as being two categories. You've got your plays that are written by playwrights. So people that are explicitly writing for the stage and they carry with them certain connotations. So they'll do stuff in the style of, they'll, they'll have emblematic things from Shakespeare. They'll have these elements to it that feels very classical. Whereas modern plays, which would be plays that are written sort of not explicitly by playwrights, tend to feel much more tactile and kind of tangible. And that yeah, really sure. came through uh, in, the, in, in the characters and those interactions. And that's kind of why I want to talk about Dracula specifically in the play and we'll come back to it in the book um in the spoilers but in the play um there's lots of monster stories out there in the world like obviously there's lots of mythos and stuff and you've been quoted before saying that you've had a fascination with dracula for a while so aside from obviously the film uh when you watched that when you were younger was there anything in particular that drew you to his his kind of mythos and character or what what's your attraction to that um if there is one i have this kind of weird memory of um again it was my sister um not this time watching the film, but she read it. So she had this this book cover that was terrifying. And I'm I'm like a real sissy when it comes to horror stuff. And I just remember being a kid and anytime <laughs> I saw this book around the house and it just had this terrifying vampire covered in blood on it. And I was just always scared yeah. of it. And I don't know. Honestly, I don't know because horror is not my thing and I don't know why I, I tackled it. But the it's, it's the character of Dracula. It's like he's just this it, – it's weird. He's like a romantic is this yeah. lonely-hearted romantic, and there's something about tackling that, but he's like a complete monster and a villain, and just like, I don't know, the juxtaposition of that is kind of interesting, and that's sort of what I've always kind of latched onto. People find it weird when I talk about the play and, um, you know, because he's the bad guy in it and stuff, but to me, he's kind of the hero of the story in <laughs> yeah, a weird yeah, way. I, yeah, there's yeah. kind of, it's what's the kind of, it's like the um, fatal attraction, and that's sort of what vampires are about, right? It's like- yeah. And particularly the way that you kind of cast him uh, in, in the light that you draw him. And he's this kind of person who has gone through these experiences and become the creature. The, be, yep. the fact that he's a vampire is just, it, you know, it's neither here nor there. But his experiences from having lived that long have made him into the creature that he is. Yep. Which, um, uh, one of my favorite vampire stories of all time is Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Um, still deeply upsetting to think about how scary that is, but... <laughs> the, the reason that works is for it's for, it's for similar reasons. It's because it draws on what happens when you do live that long and what happens when you have no one that you can really spend time with or love, and that's something you obviously explore in the play. And I don't want to get too deep into the into the story elements themselves. We'll, we'll do that in spoilers. But obviously, the story itself is driven by the characters, as we said before, and it has these elements of like this kind of slow burning, um, macabre kind of uh, drama. And the aesthetic is very, like, Chris Wooding, sort of Silence of the Lambs kind of thing. And obviously, as you said before, most of your catalogue, for all intents and purposes, is kind of lighter, and some of it's quite funny. You've got Bergman Book Club on the horizon, um, Mel McDuff, and the other web content you've worked on, whereas the play is very much 
deeply upsetting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So how did you find, and, you know, maybe it's just because of the character itself, but is was there a difference for you when you sat down to write that in your process of going, I'm going to make something that's going to be deeply upsetting <laughs> versus what you would normally make? It's weird because I, I went through sort of a phase in my writing um, a few like quite a bit, quite a few years ago where I was very like influenced by Tarantino and a lot of swearing and a lot of violence and that sort of thing. And then recently I moved more towards doing like, I guess kind of like young adult sort of stuff. Yeah. And just lighter and more sort of comedic. And then to come back to this has been weird. And I don't even, I, I can't even honestly say why I did it. I, I'm not really sure. I think I just got kind of, I watched that film and this is the beauty mm. of being on movie maintenance. You watch these movies and sometimes you just think, far out, I'd love to do that, but good. And <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to like do a, a really good Dracula story. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, no, that's, yeah, it's that's weird. it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny how that kind of happens as well. Because I mean, especially with the freedom with that show, you've got the opportunity to be like, oh, someone should do X, Y, Z that I would love to see, yep. but good. And <laughs> it's, it's I, you know, some people... Um, one of the biggest criticisms that 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 you can see if you follow any of movie maintenance is that it's this idea of oh well we criticize stuff because it's like cool to be critical or it's cool to say stuff is bad, but I think one of the things that movie maintenance does and you could probably attest to this is it's more focused on not why is this thing bad but how could it be better or why could it why should it be yeah. better kind of thing, and with the Dracula stuff particularly the way that the book relates to the play and the way that the ending of the play, which we won't get into yet, but the way the ending of the play relates to the book, that to me speaks to this idea of it's not really about how do we do a good like vampire film or whatever. Because those mm. there are some out there that are okay. Um, and I was thinking about Gabe's Twilight pitch as I'm saying this, but there's this idea in movie maintenance that it's about making stuff better for the sake of maybe stories should just be good. Like that's maybe yep. enough motivation to be critical. So have you found throughout the process of being on that show and how it, like uh, being on that show and also being a creative person? So you're both being critical of creative people and making your own stuff. Have you found that kind of a difficult balance or is it quite natural for you to kind of interact between the two? Uh, it probably didn't come naturally at the start. I think I had a fairly slow start when I was on movie maintenance, but then like, I don't know now, now I feel fine with it. It's, it's improved. Being on that show has improved my writing a lot because I, I wasn't as critical on movies in the past. And now I am like, mm -hmm. now if I'm in the cinema, I'm watching a movie and it's bad. I'm actively like already like, <laughs> Oh, how would I fix that? And yeah. some people have commented to us. It's like, Oh, you guys, how can you even enjoy films anymore? But the thing is when a film works, you, you know, that you switch that part of your brain off and you're just there in the world of the film and you enjoy it. That's Is what there... I've really found about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I absolutely agree. I mean, one one of the biggest parts of our show is tearing stuff apart. Um, yep. But we, and we get asked a similar kind of question, which is like, oh, well, can you enjoy stuff? And the truth is yes. And it's, I think it's because it's, it's not just about the content. It's about the content and the time and the place you're in when you see it. Right. So like, yep. Kong, I saw Kong recently, and Kong was hot trash. Like, just really poorly structured action film with weird action beats that didn't make a lot of sense and characterizations that were kind of flimsy at best. But I saw it, and I was at a point and a time where I was like, I'm ready for some trashy garbage with some moderately attractive people and a giant ape. Yep. And I had a good time, and I was like, it's garbage, but I had a good time. Movies are so weird like that. Like, I remember years ago when Green Hornet came out, I was oh having... God. I can't remember what happened... 
like personally on the day, but I was having a shit day. It was just yeah. a shocking day. And a friend of mine was like, let's go see Green Hornet. And I was like, all right. I sat down and it made me laugh. And like, I have like very fond memories of that film. I'm like, yeah, I had a great mm. time in that film. I saw it again yeah. recently on TV. I watched about 20 minutes of it. I'm like, oh, this is shit. Like, what the hell was I thinking? But yeah, it's circumstantial sometimes. Exactly. Those guys are doing the Invincible movie from the comics. Um, are they really? Yeah. Which is, uh, and everyone's Seth Rogen and whoever the other guy is. Or Seth. Uh, the other Seth. I can't remember. But it's the Seth. Is it Seth Rogen? He's doing everything. The, yeah, the guy's. Yeah, and so it's him and someone else are producing the Invincible film, which is kind of worrying because Green Hornet is an experience. Yeah, Joel Zammett will be pretty happy, though, because he loves Invincible. Oh, look, it's a great comic. But, I mean, as, as, as you say, it's about where you're at. Um, so, as far as, where, like, is there any other material in the Dracula kind of... I don't know what to call it. It's like kind of a tree of content with like the vampire stuff. Obviously, it's trickle down effect of that culturally is that there's a bajillion vampire books. Yeah. I've just realized that I had a childhood series of books I read called Vampirates, which is a fusion of vampire <laughs> and pirates. And it's just now occurring to me that there are a lot of thematic similarities between that and your current work. <laughs> but that was young adult fiction. And it was quite lighthearted. But yep. is there anything else within that kind of sphere of the monster Dracula tree that you go, yeah, that's good, but it's not what I wanted. Because that's always interesting when people work on an existing piece of material. Like, if you did, like, a bat, say Batman goes out of um, copyright in, like, 100,000 years or whatever, whenever <laughs> that is, um, and you could do a Batman film, you know, you would obviously draw inspiration off the ones that you enjoyed. So, were there ones that you looked at and went, yeah, I want to take bits of that, bits of that, and bits of that? There were bits of Gary Oldman's performance that I liked, and our actor Greg Kane, who's playing Dracula, watched a little bit of that. But he he very deliberately didn't look into the background of Dracula because he's just bringing his own interpretation to it. And I'm kind of in a I'm kind of similar to that. I've I don't know. I just sort of I take that one aspect of Dracula that I really like, which is the lonely romantic who's lived for hundreds of years and he's he's just alone and he wants connection with people, but he's a monster as well. I just take that and just kind of expand on that. There isn't. Really, we talked about this in the podcast that there isn't, there hasn't really been a definitive take on Dracula. I mean, yeah. Christopher Lee did a lot of stuff back in the day, which is you know um, had like a cultural impact and that sort of thing. But even still, like there isn't really like one definitive take on the character. Yeah, you don't say the word Dracula and you go, oh, it's you know blah blah blah. Whereas yeah. if you're like Hannibal, you're like, uh, it's Mans Mickelson. Or if exactly, you're like yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're like, uh, it's Ewan McGregor. Like you have those touchstones. You say, you say Dracula and people just think of what they think the character is rather than someone's face. So, I don't know. Yeah, He's a bit of like of a- the- It's so weird because, um, you know, that character's been used in hundreds of films and stories and all sorts of things. And yet there isn't like this clear- defined image of of what he's supposed to be. And that's kind of exciting when you can tackle something like that. Yeah, it gives you malleability to do something with it. Yeah, because I, I it, honestly, I don't use any respect for the source material. <laughs> like, obviously, I should. Yeah. But, like, if there are Dracula, like, Bram Stoker purists who come to see the play, they're going to be like, what the hell are you doing, man? You're ruining our life. And I'll be like, ah, sorry. It's funny to imagine a Bram Stoker purist as well. I'm not sure what that would even look like at this point. Someone that's really attached to a slightly outdated book. I've um, been followed on Twitter by the Whitby Dracula Society. Oh, no. Um, and those guys are cool. They've been like retweeting stuff about the show. But I think if they knew what the show was, they might be like, oh, that's Ooh. fun. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, don't send, them a rev- don't send them a review copy of the play. You might get into some hot water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to talk about, uh, changing gears for a minute, I want to talk a bit about Atkins. Because um, yep. he's obviously the central piece of um, the play. 
Yep. Uh, what's your kind of... He, he's a very interesting character to me because he <laughs> he's kind of this distant um, uh, father figure who is kind of got this rough exterior and he's kind of he's kind of a bit broken but he feels very real in like throughout like there's no point where I was like oh that's uncharacteristic like throughout both the book and the play yep. he feels very grounded and a lot of people would then ask you this would be the normal next question which would be like is there anyone in your life that you drew inspiration from but I'm more <laughs> interested in when you were writing that character and you because it's a very strong characterization what was your what's your process for getting something that that kind of like because it's really strong do you have any kind of pointers for other people that struggle with characterization in that kind of sense? How did you go about it? Do you have any advice? I approached him sort of in a weird way. My starting point was Stannis Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Oh, of course it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that's listened to movie maintenance will know where this is going, but yeah, continue. Yeah, but no, I like, yeah, obviously because he's just uh, a man of principle and, you know, I very much saw the, the role of Nichols as the Davos character, that sort of friendship. Um, where Davos is a little which, bit lighter which one, and stuff. Which one's Davos? Davos, Davos is, is the um, second in command, the sea captain. Yeah, he's like the, yeah, the sea captain. Without the, he's had his fingers cut off. That dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, I that that's that was my approach to the relationship between those two characters. And I guess mm-hmm. for Atkins, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's interesting because I I think his characterization's possibly a little thin. Like, a, a lot of the focus has gone into Dracula and just sort of building it around him. And Atkins is kind of that. Um, it can be a bit of a thankless sort of role because he's he's sort of that the flat sort of middleman. He's kind of the audience eyes into the yeah. into the world. We have other flamboyant characters. You have Mister Gibson, who's got like more personality, and Hopkins as well. And yeah. and um and Elizabeth has like an interesting little scene. And Nichols is his levels are sort of all over the place. And Atkins is kind of this this flat baseline character. And yeah, I didn't have any specific way that I approached him. It was just kind of like, I need a stern ship captain and I need him to start <laughs> here. I need him yep. to start here. Hopefully, just with that hint of lightness at the start and then just watch him sort of go full circle and get broken by the it end, gets to the point where he's broken. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that kind of comes through as well in the book a bit um, with some of the elements that- Some of the themes in particular in that um, are very similar. It's about that idea of breaking down- a rebuilding and breaking down and how that all kind of functions yep. in a cycle um and that's obviously people do that in real life that's why i f- feel like that's so relatable is that you have you go through moments and and times in your life where you're very much in control and you feel like you're on top of it so that would be atkins at the start of the play and then as things progress you start to lose your grip and you go i don't know what i'm doing and then it, things get worse and worse until you get to a crisis and then the resolution and obviously that's the structure of fiction um yep but I kind of, I, I, I really want to get stuck into the spoiler stuff, but I do have one more question before we do that. Sure. So, you spoke a bit earlier about uh, sort of ignoring the source material, which is probably a good idea given that Dracula is very much a, uh, he's kind of a nebulous concept as we decided. He doesn't really exist. You don't say his name and think, oh, obviously. The only thing I think you think of is fangs and the cape. I don't know where yep. that cape came from, but... It's always been there. Um, it looks cool. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It. I mean, does it look cool though? Because it's kind of. I feel like the red lining makes it a bit shiny at this point. I think it looked cool like back in the seventies, and now it's just yeah, like, probably. Yeah. Yeah. You're like <laughs> it's a bit naff, but that. So you know, there's no real baseline for that. So coming into this, you've got the 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 setup for the play without spoiling anything is that you've got a captain on a ship, and they dis- he discovers that he's got some cargo that he was not anticipating, and it's about yep. how that cargo 
drives the changes on the boat and he must then grapple with those and deal with those and he's he is effectively the protagonist throughout the uh, throughout the play as you said he's he's your touchstone for the audience yep. as you've been going through rehearsals because obviously you had your last one yesterday um how have you found watching the change from what you imagined in your head particularly throughout the pitch and then with the script itself and that that Atkins character being that baseline being that protagonist watching that kind of evolve into actually being on stage for the first time for you, I imagine, in a literal play sense. Yep. You know, it, it all happens on the night, as actors always say. Like, it's, it's, it's different every night. Has that been interesting for you to watch how it's kind of morphed and changed after you've kind of put the script in the hands of the actors and the director? Yeah. You mean for Atkins specifically or just sort of a general? Well, Atkins specifically because he is the protagonist, but then also yeah. generally, or which, whichever you'd like to speak to. Um, Atkins kind of did change, sort of in the last month or so as we've gone through the rehearsals because and I think it was a sort of deficiency in the writing of the of the play to be honest is that he he was a bit of a baseline the whole way through and so what we've tried to work into it a lot more and this is a credit to the actors who have um and the director of um, spitballed these ideas and made it better is to just bring more lightness and to bring more of the friendship with Nichols out so you see him a little bit more lighthearted and having a drink or whatever in the first scene because Prior to that, it was kind of he came in and he was very grim, and then when you saw him again, he was very grim, and at the end, he's very grim. And <laughs> yeah. it's like so, he's very grim, yeah. So it's been like that's been probably the joy of working with the actors is that they, I don't know, they're probably harder on it than I am because they look at it and go, <laughs> I need, I actually need like a little bit more to work with here, and like, and then that's cool because it's been a very collaborative process and everyone's been really cool. We've just kind of like workshopped it until we've got it to a point it's where it's cool. working better, and yeah, it's been really yeah. fun. That sounds. Awesome, actually. I mean, that's like your ideal outcome, right? Like you have yeah. the thing that you've made, and then you come to other people, and they help you make it into something that you can all kind of work with. And yeah, I I, I didn't intend you know, that's, to that's be. What you want. I didn't intend to be in, you know, pretty much the majority of the rehearsals. Like I thought, I'll just sit in on a few at the start, because it's cool to see, <laughs> you know, actors. This is my first time seeing actors sort of like do my words outside of like short films and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But and it's really cool. But then I don't know. I've ended up just sort of lingering. <laughs> Just to enjoy, just, the, to, enjoy just the annoying show. people, and yeah, it's it's fun. Like I, I'm becoming very aware that there's only going to be six more times that I get to watch it. So it's I don't know. It's like enjoy it while you have it. You know. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. That's cool. I I like that. And from, I'm so keen to get into spoilers because there's so much I want to talk about. <laughs> but but before we do that, I I have one final question. I know the last one I said was the final one, but this is genuinely the final one. Um, with the pitch and how that film plays out. There are some differences in the play, which we'll get into in a minute. But yep. could you see? Let's let's say the play goes terrifically well, as I'm sure it will, and and it's great and and it's enjoyable. And someone comes up to you and they're like, "We want to do the film the way that you've kind of pitched it." Yep. From the from the movie maintenance pitch, without spoiling the play and the outcome of that, and in the book, is there anything that you look at and go, "Okay, well, my first idea was X Y Z, so captain on ship." creature in cargo hold how does that play out yeah yep is there anything from that that you go oh that was terrible that's got to change hated it gone for good was there anything like that for you that really stuck out um after that process um there's this a spoilery bit at the end that we'll talk about in a minute that yeah we'll get to it in a minute that having done that in the pitch i think i was corrected um by gabe or Tom yeah, it's or on, on the, the pitch. pitch gabe gabe calls you on it correct yeah so that was one that um yeah definitely Needed to be corrected. Um, uh, outside of that, I don't know. It's I can't really think of anything from the pitch. I mean, I, I I got great input from the other guys 
on that episode um, mm. who added cool things in about Nichols and some of the crew fights and that sort of stuff, which would be cool. Um, I'd love to see it as a film, though. So, yeah, I mean, the play takes place sort of yeah. entirely below deck. So you don't see any of the above deck interactions. Exactly. So that's where you would expand exactly. it in a film. And that would be really cool. I would think so. It, it's kind of got a bit of a, we'll talk about it a bit later, but it's got a bit of a Walking Dead kind of vibe. I mean, good Walking Dead, not the current TV show, but it's kind of a bit of a Walking Dead vibe in the sense that you've got a bunch of people who are kind of contained to their own world. And then there's threats that they can't really control. And it's like, how does that conflict happen? And that's kind of how I saw that. If you were going to do it as a film, um, I f- it would be quite slow and it would be kind of really tense and it would be that kind of oh yeah it'd be it'd be yeah. a slow sort of skin crawling sort of thing i always think of my approach to dracula was that he's like a horcrux in harry potter and that just his presence oh, yeah. is just this like corrosive effect on everybody so anyone who's near him and they're all mm. near him because they're locked in there on the boat essentially they yeah can't they can't get anywhere. if they're on the ocean they can't get away and so, as ti- more time goes by, it just becomes worse and worse and worse, and people just unravel. And that's actually quite fun to write. I know I've been writing like lighter stuff, but when it comes to this, <laughs> it's actually yeah. really cool to take characters in that place. You start them off at one point, and then it's like, well, how bad can it get? It's kind yeah, of fun. How bad not, can not it for get them, them, but you know. No, me. I was going to say it's very unpleasant for the characters. <laughs> There's some stuff that goes on that I'm like, wow, that should not happen to anyone. <laughs> so we might take a we might take a brief pause, and then we'll come back and we'll do spoilers. So at this point, if you haven't seen the play or you haven't read the book. Uh, we might try and separate them a bit. We'll see how we go. But I, yeah, sure. I've got some stuff I want to talk about. But if you haven't seen those or, or, or um, read the book, stop now um, or forever hold your peace, I suppose. Um, whatever the, the current saying is. I don't know. What are the kids saying? I don't know. BRB when you've seen them or whatever. Who knows? Don't any of you understand what you are? You're all just insects, little ants, circling back and forth, bickering and grappling and falling in and out of each other's tangle until your days end, and they surely will. But mine do not, and never will. And within seconds of me leaving this place and washing your blood off my shoes, you will be little more than footnotes in a history none will ever read. start with the ending because i feel like that is the thing where i was like the most upset with how it ended uh both in the pitch and then not in the pitch um um, and also how (laughs) dare you um with with some of what went on i'm deeply upset by all of it so Mm -hmm. obviously we have the final confrontation yep uh and we know the outcome of the ship from stoker's book we know that the you know that you you read the captain's log um so the differences between the pitch and the play are obviously they come from that last 15 minutes of the pitch where you talk about the ending. Yep. What was it like trying to make that decision to change how it ended to have Atkins, you know, survive in inverted commas, if you want to call it that he didn't die, I guess. Um, I think I haven't listened to the pitch and probably since we did it, but from memory, I think I really liked Gabe's take that suicide endings are kind of crap and I probably shouldn't have done it. And immediately I thought, yeah, that's probably better. And it, there's something nice about, um, or not nice at all, 
<laughs> terrible, <laughs> but from, terrible from Dracula to be like, no, some of us have to suffer forever and to leave this guy alive while everyone he loves is dead. I don't know. I really like that. It that is, that, it is that was an easy decision. Yeah. It is horribly romantic of Dracula to want someone to understand that kind yeah. of pain. Yeah. And that, like... I mean, that's like, that's, that's, re- that's real fucked up shit. Like, that's what that is. You know? So, when, when you see it how it is now, which I yeah. think works really nicely, yeah, I, I was a fool. So, when you previously, when you said, what would I change about the pitch? Yeah, I would never have suggested killing him because it's, I think I did that because I wanted to stay true to the book yeah. in which the everyone dies. Time. But at a certain point, I'm like, ah, I'm already changing stuff. Too, you yeah, just, you some, just roll with it. And then later on in the book as well, there are some, uh, you make some amendments to what happens yeah. at the end of that um, and, and Stoker's source material. But there is a particular scene that I wanted to ask you about that I'm fascinated by. So, in the pitch, um, it's toward the end of the play. So, you've got Atkins and Dracula and his family is dead. And he, uh, in the pitch, he has the bullet and he's about to kill himself, which is a horrific scene. And then he stands up and he shoots the lock off the cage. Yeah. And then they just duke it out. And then in the play... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Atkins, he, he's about to kill himself, he stands up, and then Dracula walks out of the cage, because he's, no, he's he was never really locked up or whatever. Yeah. They seem like a, that seems like a small change, but, like, the implications are dramatically different for the, for the whole of the play. Yep. I feel like, anyway. What was, how did that change come about for you? When, when did that happen and, and, and why? I'm just really curious as to, because that to me is a big, there's a big yeah, difference sure. between the two. It happened probably the second or third sort of version. I won't call them drafts because it wasn't sort of as extensive with that. But the play probably went through seven or eight versions where tweaks were made and things were changed and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, that came up pretty early, probably the second or third crack at it. Um, I really liked the visual element of it. And again, this is more of a cinematic thing, I suppose, of him shooting the lock off and then, you know, them it is, fighting. It is badass, yeah. Yeah, but it was pointed out to me. I think um, Ash Tardy, the director, pointed out to me. She was kind of like... I think we need him to actually let himself out because people in the audience, like, as soon as they fight, you become aware that obviously Dracula's got this strength that Atkins can't match. So, it's, it's like not, at any point- It's not a contest, yeah. Yeah, not at all. So, you ha- probably have to feed the audience with that aspect of, yeah, Dracula could have got out at any time. And then it leads mm-hmm. to more dialogue where he explains, yeah, sometimes I just like to watch the little ants circling the drain. So, for yeah, that, yeah. for that, I think it had to happen. Um, you missed the gun thing. Um, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think it's a cool moment. It's like Atkins intends to go and burn the ship or whatever and, you know, try and yeah, kill Dracula right. yeah. and leave. And then all of a sudden you just hear this creak as, as Dracula just strolls out, which he has been able to do at any time, which is a bit chilling to think that. It's like, yeah. yeah it was, it was a good change. Forward. It was a good suggestion from um, from the crew. And, yeah, it was something that helped it, I think. Yeah. Now, that's interesting. I, uh, I just found that fascinating because to me- uh, in the in the pitch itself, obviously, um, it's I, I I kind of felt in the pitch that when Atkins shoots the lock off, that's very much him. Um, he's giving into that the, to the rage that he has, and he's like, because he knows that he can't kill Dracula at that point, but he's like, I'm just gonna go in, and I'm just I need to beat the shit out of this guy, you know? Yeah, yep. he's a man of principle, and he's like, you killed my family, I've got to punish you, kind of thing. Yep. Whereas in the play, it's very much you suddenly go, oh, okay, well. Atkins didn't didn't kill himself like Dracula was kind of trying to entice him to do, so now Dracula's gonna punish him for surviving. Yeah, and then that leads on to obviously Dracula's final punishment, which is letting him live. Yeah, um, 
which is a horrendous thing to do to both a character <laughs> and a person. Um, yeah. I yeah, there, there was a there was a so I I started reading the um the book before I read the play because I listened to the pitch yesterday. Then I read the first chapter of the book and then I read the play. The minute I read the first chapter of the book, I was like, I need to read the play again because something's different here, obviously, because Atkins isn't dead. And then I read the play. I was like, oh, Carney, you've done me hard. This is tough. <laughs> and then you get, and then I was like, oh, now the book's contextualized and I feel awful for Atkins. Like, dude's had it tough. <laughs> yeah, he's had it rough. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's, not, he's not a happy bloke. <laughs> no, not at all. Just, just, yeah. Um, so, obviously, with with as it shows um from most of the movie maintenance crew uh you're all fairly prolific as far as your ability to produce ideas i don't think that's any secret you do the podcast and a lot of you are making a lot of stuff um that's that's no surprise elise is always putting stuff out gabe obviously seems to never sleep or something i don't know how he does it and you've obviously got a lot on the on the burner so for you between the two ideas so the uh, in this case we'll call it the play but the pitch and the play and then the book itself what was the turnaround like for you between the two ideas uh, well, I mean, I did the pitch back in October and then uh, I feel like, oh, no, it was prior to that, actually. It came out in October. But yeah, I, I wrote the play. I started writing the play back in September. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabe had sort of mentioned it to Ash, the director, who's part of the production company with Gabe. And she's a horror nut and she really liked it. So, she was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's. But I hadn't written it yet. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Shit, crap. Gabe's very quick at crap. writing. I'm, I'm, I'm quite slow. I, I like to take my time. Um, mm. but yeah, I basically, I was a bit under the pump, but then I said, give me two weeks and I'll give you something. So I gave them a draft after two weeks. And then honestly, yep. it's, it's gone through like a lot. It's been just tinkering at it for months and months after that. Like not every yeah. day and every week or anything, but every now and again, we just go back you to it and sort of keep working it. at it. And, you know, I, I made a lot of changes as I went through the audition process because yep. I kept seeing, we had Greg locked in as Dracula from the outset. Um, so I just... Yeah, I would I would tweak his stuff here and there because I was seeing all the different things he was bringing to it every time we'd have an audition or a rehearsal. And, you know, as you go through, you just yep. keep making changes. But that was a long, drawn-out process. The book, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> was actually just insane. Yeah. Um, I think I wrote it inside three weeks. Whew, all right. Um, <laughs> That's pretty tight, yeah. It's basically taken a month from idea to I just today actually got um, two boxes of the books delivered. So that's it's oh, been wow. a month. Okay. Just, just a month. That so is it's, it's actually that is a insane. turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Um I don't even know how it happened. It's just absurd. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> that that is really fast, but I guess sometimes you just know. That's the other thing too. Like sometimes I guess, it yeah. just works. You know. I mean, I feel like but that was so- Yeah. Sorry, dude. No, that was go. how I would have I would have. I used to sort of write like that back in the day, where it's like yeah. kind of just one crack at it, and oh, I don't need to go back and do another draft and fix it. And I've yeah. sort of, especially going to VCA and learning all that screenwriting and stuff, sort of moved past that. Where now I'd like to take my time with the things that I write. But I don't know. This yeah. was just. It was a weird circumstance of um, just having an idea that I felt really strongly about, and then having this deadline because, like, it's just it's a real gimmick to be able to sell a sequel to the play, at, at the, the play. play, and then we've got our think- 100th uh, episode movie maintenance live show at the end of the month, and so sell more copies there. But yeah, it was a real, I don't know. Perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing, really. I just had to get it done. Has and, anyone done um, that before? I don't like, know. Is that, I feel like that's quite a new, that's quite unusual at least. Like, I, you know. That's yeah, it's cool. cool. Like, 
Gabe sort of talks about often you'll have people go to the theater or whatever and they might spend 20 or 30 dollars just to buy a program so if you're selling a book for 10 bucks you know even if you kind of just had a a bit of an interest in what you just watched in the play if you, you might went, yeah that was it. all right you might just be like 10 bucks whatever especially I'll for 10 bucks that. yeah right. true yeah. that's quite a it's quite a cool idea actually that was something that i learned from um the burn shepherd release was people like because one of the things i talk about my my interview with gabe during that is he was it we, we both bef- the day before were like oh, what if no one turns up like what if all these people that have said they're going on facebook never show up you know yep. and it's like us april and zamet standing in an empty bookstore kind of thing um and obviously that didn't happen it was packed but that kind of anxiety was was the the content of our day before it was the entire day was uh what if no one turns up it's gonna be really weird if no one turns up hope people turn up yep for the play obviously people are gonna come to see the play because it's a play so people come to see the play and if they buy the book what they're saying is hey i want to hear more yep so my question would be given the way the book ends which we're about to get to is there more you would do with atkins or would you maybe return to the world with dracula in? like is 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 there for you anything after this or because obviously the book's ending is fairly um I don't know where you'd go from there. Like, I feel like it makes the point that it wants to make. Is there anything else you want to do with this space? Or are you kind of like, the book's good, I'm, I'm checking out, cash me in. In the, in the preface to the book, I kind of say that it's, it's closure. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, I was just sort of skimming over it today as I got the copies in my hand. And, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be more closure if, like, Atkins had died. The fact that he's still out there and there's that yeah. promise from Dracula that I'll be watching you and it's kind of like, I guess I could, you know, if I come up with an idea, I might do it. I don't have one at the moment, but I wouldn't mm. mind even potentially doing something with Abigail and Dracula or something like that. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I suppose it gets tricky too because he Atkins is quite old. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite like- old, Inverted commas. Um, yeah, he's like about 60, 60 so, so right? it's like, how much yeah. more mileage can you get out of that dude? You know. I feel like at that point, if you've jumped out of a plane at 60, you probably hit like your peak action. It's all downhill. For, like all, uh, everything after that is in a wheelchair. Kind of, like, you know what I mean? That's like it's true. quite, you've hit yeah. like your action peak. But there is a scene with Atkins where um, it's toward the start and it's when it's the ship reveal. Yeah. And this was a scene, it's not very long where he, he walks through the dock and he looks at the ships. But it, I, th- I I thought it was a it was a brilliant scene. And I, I've, I've got Thanks, an annotation man. here that to, to note that I was like, Holy crap, like, I don't know what it was about the structure of how you put that together or the tension. I don't know what it was, but you you kind of intuit what the ship's going to be called. I don't know how it works, but as you read that scene where she's like, you'll know it when you see it, you're like, oh, is it going to be something to do with the Demeter? Is it going to be something to do with this kid? What's what's it, What's it? the what's the connection here? Yep. And you go, oh, she, he's, you know, she wouldn't have called it off to the Demeter. That's just insensitive. Is it going to be something we don't know about? Something that's happened in the 20 years? And when you get to the ship... And you have the reveal of, of it being called the Elizabeth. It's a real moment. Like, it's one of those moments that I went, oh, I could see, like, I just saw it in my head. I was like, great, that I can see that scene. I feel his emotion. I'm, like, there. And that was when I was in. Right? I was like, cool. I'm, I'm, now I'm in. I'm, I'm going to, and I read it. Like, I didn't move after that. I read the whole thing in one sitting after that. <laughs> awesome, so, with man. those little That's cool mo- to hear. Cause, cause it, yeah, I, I I loved it. I just wanted you to know that I really enjoyed that. And those little moments, I think, are what make stories a lot of the time. If your structure's solid and your characters are solid, it's putting those little moments in where you kind of go, oh, I'm totally in. Like, I'm in. You've got me. I'm, I'm ready. Um, I'm tr- one of the moments in um, Guardians of the Galaxy is 
anytime that one of the songs come on and there's action happening and you're like, oh, cool, I'm, I'm totally in with this situation. And in your book, obviously, it's those small moments. And for me, it was that moment. When you're crafting that stuff, do you think through, I'm going to make this scene where the ship's revealed, I'm going to pace it like this, or is it just organic and kind of happens? Uh, it's pretty organic and kind of happened, but I was mindful to just keep it really short and sweet because I think you could very easily... Um, extend that scene out and, and 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 stay with him there for longer. But I don't know. I just kind of, I think that's the shortest like chapter or scene mm-hmm. in the book. And I don't know. I think there's it's a power pretty, to it's that. Pretty tight, yeah. There's a power to just sort of getting in quickly, doing it, and then and then leaving. Um, and that was on my mind when I wrote that one. Yeah, I think I don't know when I went back over it to kind of like look through it and change a few things here and there. That was that one pretty much just stayed the same. I think. Yeah. I think that, that that shows too, and I don't know whether it's just when you've been writing for long enough, you have that ability to produce stuff that feels both organic and immediate, but that scene in particular for me, I was like, cool, yeah, awesome, I get it. And then later on, you've got this kind of, I'll, I'll reference The Walking Dead again, but when they're on the ship, the, the way that those tensions play out and the way that the, the intentions, sorry, the way that the tensions play out and the intentions of the different characters slowly become revealed... It it happens in quite a short space physically in the text. Like it's not. Yeah. It's like the first third ish from when um, he takes the job to then to where the rest of the crew is no longer with him. Yeah. Um. So obviously physically it doesn't take up much space, but it feels like that section takes quite an quite an amount of time between where you meet the crew and then the point where things go south and guns are pulled and there's that great action scene which is horrific but amazing um when you were putting that together there there could be a tendency i think for for a lot of writers um particularly classically trained people so people that read a lot of lit fiction and they want to move into genre fiction they would have written that journey that would have been like the book the 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 journey would have been the entire novel and they would have landed and then that would have been like the emotional resolution of like he takes ownership of the girl of the daughter um of 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 his his like his grand the grandfather's granddaughter who was his best friend he takes some ownership of that and their protection and whether or not she survives is irrelevant it's about that emotional climax what i thought was interesting about the way that you put together the structure is that it was very much the internal and external genres kind of came to a head at the same time so they get to the crystal mountains and he reveals what actually happened on the ship and at the same time you get the physical resolution of dracula's killed everyone and it turns out actually this was sort of his piece there. He was there the whole time he's playing this out. Yeah. When you were putting that together, how much forethought went into the the, the different balancing of the book? So which which sections were longer and which sections were shorter? Um, particularly given the way that, that that first third plays out with the kind of the Walking Dead style people yeah. in a container kind of thing. I think when I came up with the idea, um, if if this was gonna be like a longer, if it was gonna be a novel that middle section, that journey on the ship would be the bit that you'd probably extend. And also, you know, like later when they jump out of the plane and then they're in the mountains, it kind of skips through that pretty quickly as well. That would have been extended too. So, I think that were just choices along the way where I was like, it, it just, it would have grown too big. And I was like, no, like less is more, I think, in this for this story. Yeah. I don't know. I just had an idea of the structure yeah, in mind from the outset. And I approach it the same way I approached writing a screenplay. Like this was just like, how would I do this as a film? 
Um, oh, okay. That's it's a little, yeah. it's, it's shorter. I mean, it'd be that kind of film where I guess if you reviewed it, you'd be like, oh, it's missing like a little bit of stuff in the middle here. And that's yeah. the thing. But- middle build was a bit short kind of thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. But I think you can get away with that in a novella. And yeah, I I very much approached it structurally the same way that I would approach a film. So, I broke it into five acts and I was just like, all right. Got to hit those beats. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, with particularly with the ending. So, you've got the revelation that Dracula in some way has basically been following uh, Atkins for the length of- his life, we assume, yep. or or to some extent. Obviously, yep. he's not been there the whole time, but he's he's been keeping an eye on him. Yeah. Um. That says a lot about Dracula as a person, and it comes back to what we said before about the fact that that's kind of a horrifically romantic thing to do to someone else. Yeah. It it never gets sexual. Dracula in this is never a sexual creature like he is in a lot of the other depictions, where it's like vampires are sexy and like they yep. seduce women because that's part of what they do. This Dracula is like this broken person who obviously doesn't have access to that romantic side of his life anymore so instead his romance is replaced by you know making this man horrifically unhappy and then following him around which is again awful when you were thinking about that ending and when you come into the uh the uh, the monastery what was your process for getting to the point where you were like okay which came first was it the journey to the mountains or was it the reveal that dracula would be at the end of the path when you went through that? Uh, when I came up with the idea, it was, yeah, Dracula would be at the end of the path, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, knew that I, I knew that I would take it into the mountains. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, the monastery stuff sort of wasn't there initially in my head. I think I, I had a much different thing. I always had that bit, you know, the bit where they're, they're running, the sun's coming up and they're running and the, the child's skin's burning and that sort of thing. Yeah. I have that written in my notes on several different pages and it's always under the same thing. It was always just like epic sun run. And I was like, all right, I gotta work <laughs> I gotta work that in somehow. I think initially Mary was gonna die much earlier in the piece. Yep. Uh, maybe like halfway through, and then it was gonna be Atkins and the child. And then I, for some reason I had a scene in mind where they find themselves in a cave and then Dracula's in that cave with them. And he has his sort of conversation yeah. with Atkins, and then it becomes a matter of he's coming towards them, and it's Dracula's going to kill kill them, or he can step out into the sunlight, and he w- right. will he leave the kid or not? And he can't leave her, so he kind of like wraps her in a jacket, and, oh, they, okay. and they run out through the sun, and Dracula's like, "I yeah. will find you," sort of thing. But then, yeah, I don't yeah. know. The monastery sort of came into it. I'm not really sure. I think it was in part because of the location. When I set it in in Nepal, I just thought. I don't know, I've read I've I've been over there and I've I've read a lot of stuff about the the mountains and the and the stuff there and I, I just I really like the Crystal Mountains as a setting. So I I think yeah. that played a lot into it. It's 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 mystic, but it's not too mystic. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like cheap appropriation and it feels just mystic enough that when and I'll be honest, I was so, I was I was I was in the story enough that I didn't really see Dracula's appearance coming. I know I should have, like it's a Dracula story. Yeah. But I was expecting Oh, they get to the healer and they're like, "No, nah, can't help her." And you're like, "Oh crap! What, what's going to happen now?" Kind of thing. Yeah, that. And then, my, yeah. yeah, my my original idea with it, I think, was to have either they they get to the healer and and he's like, "No, like what you heard was wrong," or there's just nobody there or something like that. And so, because I always thought it was like a, a pointless quest. Like Atkins very much has that in his head. He's like, "There's not going to be anybody there. Like you're crazy, yeah, it's a waste lady, of time, whatever." Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm not sure what point I decided to have. Dracula sort of be pulling the strings on the whole thing. I don't know. It just yeah. worked. It worked quite nicely. Um, I, it's it's interesting too because it's hard to 
sort of market the book, you want to talk to people about it. It's it's nice to be able to have like a spoiler conversation. <laughs> yeah, about it, oh, but look, it's like that's, it's always a relief. Yeah, even like I've got the posters hanging up in the foyer at the venue, and because the title is where the captain goes. Even then, I'm like, are people going to like immediately see know? that and know that Atkins survives the play? Can it's, we talk yeah. about that line, which is where the captain goes? Because yeah, sure. Holy shit! There's a few moments where there's iterations of that, obviously throughout. Um. And every single one of them gave me chills. And I don't know why, but <laughs> something about the way that... It's something about, like, lines like that. They like yeah. they fucking get me. Like, every time I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, okay, I've got chills now. Yeah. But there's a moment in the... I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's in the monastery. It's at the very end. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's... I think it's Mary that says something like... Is it that Dracula tells? Sorry, she's she's about to leave or something. There's, is there a use of that in the monastery? Or am I thinking of on yeah, the ship? Yeah, it's, it's the child. Uh, it happens a couple of times. Oh, it's the child. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mary yeah, uses that, it on the yeah. ship. I think yep. um, they're trying to split them up on the ship, and she goes, "No, I go where the captain goes." Yeah, it's where the mercenaries are like, "We're going to take him and lock him away." Yeah. Yep. Um, and she previously used it at the start because that's when he's yep. like, "Oh, that's the last thing your father said to me." And exactly. then, yeah, the child uses it. The Dracula, Dracula kind of <laughs> says, "I'll teach you how to be a vampire." Essentially, you come with me. And she goes, "No, I go where the yep. captain goes." So yeah, it's, yep. um, that line is not in the script for the play. I think Nichols oh, uses okay. it in his interaction with Dracula, but he doesn't say it in in the play. He says it as he gets shot by Atkins. He turns his back on Atkins when he's pointing the gun at him and he says, I go where the captain goes. And then Atkins sort of wavers for a minute and then says, I'm Jesus. sorry, and shoots him. <laughs> yeah. um, that came about during rehearsals. I Because wow. originally, so the, the novel was going to be called The Elizabeth. Um, and then yep. the, further I, the further I got into it, the ship wasn't as big a role. It's like what you were saying before. Yeah, the ship, the, probably the journey would have been longer in my original mm-hmm. idea. And then I found that it wasn't. And then I just thought where the captain goes had a nice ring. Um and then I went up to the actor during rehearsals and I said, hey, mate, just before he kills you, can you just say this? And then they tried it and it worked. And I was and like, fuck yeah. yeah. And it just and it's it's so crucial to the novel. So I'm, I'm oh. really, I'm happy that it worked. But it's because it, of the really actor. Does. It's because oh, of the actor that, it, that it's, it's there really. Because I watched him and prior to rehearsals, like Nichols was a real secondary character for me. I was just kind of like, hey, he's just the captain's best mate. But then this guy, uh, his name's Matthew Elliott, who's playing him in the, in the play, mm. he, I don't know, he's brought something to the character and it's something that he said once when he was internalizing his process. And he goes, when I'm acting against Dracula, I very much see it as a battle between him and me for Captain Atkins' soul. And I was like, shit, man, I've never thought of it like that. That's like what your whole That's thing so is. Cool. And then, yeah, I don't yeah. know. His character grew and I, I don't know. I wanted to tell a story about his daughter, yeah. I guess. And then, yeah, that's where when that When you went. think about the, the broader context of the two stories, in that case, really what you're saying is in, in the first story, Dracula wins. Um, yes. <laughs> he claims Atkins' soul. Yeah. And then in the second one, Atkins is able to redeem himself to some yeah. extent. Yeah, he can um, take it back a little bit. So it's got a nice little synergy. You can take it back it. a bit. But then yeah. it's like, <laughs> a little he's bit, still yeah. obviously, yeah, he's still in a bad situation that's going to oh, end yeah. horribly. But yeah. there's no happy endings. But, no. but I, th- I think that, that that emotional arc works for him in a way that feels very it doesn't feel too like cheesy you know how yep. sometimes you'll watch something or you'll read something and you're like okay they put in this arc and i get why they put it in here but the way that it resolves just feels a bit like it's too overdone or it's too like touchy-feely or whatever yep but then walking out of that monastery and then dracula not i think him not pursuing them is why that feels so powerful because he's like all right i guess i'm just gonna watch you forever then and see what happens you know yep i really like his me, character he's he's all about yeah. 
choice. He he can do anything he wants. And so, I don't know, there's more weight to the things that he decides to do. So, that's probably why that end bit kind of works for me. Uh, Perhaps I'd, the things yeah. he decides not to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Crucially. Yeah, he doesn't step out of the cage and butcher everyone. He prefers yeah. to have... You know, with the tune that he whistles, he prefers to have the child do his bidding, and then yeah. he prefers to follow Atkins rather than kill him, or he prefers to watch that suffering, and it's kind of, uh, there's something that's very attractive and, like, compelling about that as a character. You, like, I kind of, there's a part of me that's like, I kind of root for Dracula a little bit, like a tiny bit, where I'm like, oh, I kind of get where he's coming from. I do. Like, he's in a lot of pain, yeah. I, I root for him, and it's so weird, but whatever. It's like, <laughs> it's like this creature that kills people, but it's like... There's a part of everyone that I feel like always is going to fulfill that role of now I'm uncomfortable with the things that I associate with and the things that I love. And the outcome of that ultimately is that I'm actually able to enjoy a character like Dracula who butchers people and eats them and in this case has a child do it. The beauty of him, and we talk about this a lot in movie maintenance, is you've got to understand the villain, um, why they're the hero in their own story. And that's that's the key to to Dracula and people can connect with Dracula because you can very clearly see when you peel away the layers of him a little bit behind the monster you can clearly see why he's in pain and you know what sort of drives him and that's really fascinating I love dealing with that stuff and is that would you say that's to do because that that idea of the thing you just said is like critical for storytelling I think we sometimes forget it Um, if you look at most of the Marvel they forget um, it (laughs) entries they keep forgetting it Yeah. yeah I think the closest they've come to like a decent motivation I'm really like forcing my brain to work here. Who was the last decent Marvel villain who had an intention or a motivation you could understand? Uh, the dude in Civil War was quite good, um, uh, but that was, was that a the, very that was a very different Marvel was that villain. The Baron Zemo character. Yeah, he his yeah. No, his motivation was cool and not it at all what sense. you were expecting. But that's yeah. not their standard. They normally no. go for the oh, I want to take over the world because uh, because. That's it. Because Tony, you know. Tony Stark probably caused me to be created. Is usually how that goes. <laughs> but that I think that idea is really important. And I, I mean, obviously everyone forgets it a lot. But yeah, you have to understand why. And whether it's a villain or it's a hero or it's a side character or whatever, the intention is so important because intention drives action. And as we see in the in the in the in the novella, um, we slowly start to learn that the intentions of particularly Mary, they start to become more and more clear. And her intentions show us that her actions actually were maybe not as bad as we thought or that, you know, as her her complete intentions are revealed, we start to understand perhaps where she's coming from. And equally with Abigail and to an extent as well, I think with the crew that end up being killed, you kind of get where they're coming from. They're like, we've got two murderers. We were like, you know, uh, one of the characters, I think, is it it Clark that wants to enter back into the military? Yeah. 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 And you go, yeah, I get that. He's like, I feel like I've got no direction. I need that discipline. I want to be back in the army. And you're like, yeah, cool. We've all felt like that. Yeah. And you've got, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the 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 sharpshooter, the bloke that's a real uh, jerk. Yeah, Nanda. Yeah, Nanda, he's a yeah. he's a real asshole. I really he's don't a like piece Nanda. Of shit, yeah. <laughs> and the the his first interaction with the captain's fantastic when when um. Uh, when he has him shoot the plates, and then the outcome of that is he has to eat off the table. I was like, yeah, good. <laughs> Screw you, Nanda. Like, I'm not a fan of you. Those but guys that, were fun. Yeah. Yeah, this, they were. They felt very fun. And then you've got, obviously, the mute um, as well. <laughs> and that, that collection of characters felt like you sort of were teasing us, being like, here's this group of people that maybe it'll be like the captain's new family. And then they turn out to be awful pieces of crap that, yeah. you know, get 
get horribly murdered, mm-hmm. as everyone does in in these two stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Atkins at the end, and obviously the second one, it's a vampire. Yep. But with those characters, um, and this might be a good place to kind of wrap things up, when you were going through that process, obviously there's... I'm trying to count them. There's about f- six or seven peripheral characters in the novel, the novella itself. Yeah. Each of them had... Obviously, when you start a character, you start from an archetype. You're like, oh, they're the Joker, or they're the... Well, yeah, yep. what have you. Like, Clark is very much the kind of replacement second mate. Who's, yep. He's like the William Riker of the group. Yep. Um, just a bit less funny. When you were going through, was there were there any characters that you had added that you cut, or were there any that kind of merged, or were they all kind of there from the start? Uh, you were kind of plotting it out. No, they, they remained the same for the novella. It was... Um, it was... I mean, like you said, what is there, like seven characters or something like that? It's very- Yeah, something like that. It's very pared down and it just kind of had to be because I knew I was telling a really short, sharp story and it was just immediately, it was like, all right, how many people do I need on the ship? I only want like three or four of them on the ship and it's just like, Mm -hmm. what do I need? I need the Joker. I need the serious one. I need, yeah, I need the sort of- exactly The first mate replacement type and then, yeah, it was very much a needs basis and then I only had a really short space of time to kind of actually- fill them out as characters because they could have quite easily just been like empty shells but i think there's like just a little (laughs) bit enough for each of them to sort of sink their teeth into before they get murdered so you know yeah before they get horribly horribly (laughs) killed because that's what happens in these two stories everyone gets awfully murdered Uh, i think mary has the worst the worst of all the deaths i've never been more i've never been more upset with like i it wasn't that i was like oh this is upsetting but i was reading it and i'm like Connie, why are you doing this to me? Like, what's what is this? Is this seems unnecessary? Like the way that she dies, that and it, that's why it's so powerful, right? Is it's like Dracula is being unnecessarily cruel. Oh like, yeah, it's 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 so gleeful as well, and the way that he feels as he does it, you kind of get the impression that he's like enjoying it way too much. Yeah, he and um it's, yeah, it's that heart being ripped out and the blood squeezed oh, over Jesus, the dead body. Yeah. That was originally going to be Nanda. Um, oh okay. Yeah, I went back and that was one little change I made. Nander originally got shot by Atkins and he just sort of fell over the edge of the boat and then he came back later because Dracula kind of pulled him out of the water or whatever. And oh, then okay. when they got to the monastery at the end, it was going to look like, oh, they're very hopeful. They're like, we've made it. We're going to be fine. And then Mary just gets shot. And she's killed. And Nander Shit. steps out of the shadows. It was Nander. Yeah. And then because I, I, I kept building up to him and Atkins having like a brutal fist fight that kind of never happened. And that was going to be yeah. the moment. Like, Atkins was going to step forward to, like, kick the shit out of him or whatever. And then Dracula was going to come up behind Nanda and rip his heart out. But then, exactly. I don't know, I just was like, nah, piss off Nanda. I don't know, I yeah, just did it a different way. And- I think that, that avoids it being a bit too melodramatic where you- Because yeah. you, you're expecting that confrontation, right? Like, the whole yeah. time on the yeah. ship, you're like, at some point, Atkins is going to punch Nanda in the face. Like, that's yeah. what you see. You're like, it's going to happen and it's going to be- It's going to end poorly because then things are going to kick off. Yeah. But instead, it's Clark who instigates- the whole situation. Yeah. Um, as far as we know, we don't obviously we don't we don't see them yeah. planning it, but it's Clark the one is the one. Yeah, that's he's like, kind of captain. the de facto ringleader. I still yeah. like I like I just ended up not doing that at the end with Nanda because I was like I already have that build up. He has that moment where he could have shot Atkins, um, but he was like, "Why don't you come and fight me like a man?" sort of thing. And you think, "Oh, here we go, they're going to fight," and then they don't. So and then he just is it is it Nanda that gets hit in the knife hit in the chest with the knife, or is it someone else? Uh, I think Clark. That's uh, that's it is Clark. That's right because he hocks uh, Atkins hocks the knife at Clark. Clark just goes down and he's dead. Yeah, very then, unceremonious. Um, <laughs> very unceremonious. <laughs> just, yeah, some of them are quick and brutal, and others are just yeah. really drawn out. Like one of them has his ears ripped off, and yeah. Yep. I, yep. Well, he, well, to be fair, Atkins did say, "I'm going to rip your ears off." So I yep. guess that's you know he's saying and he, do what he says he it. He does it. 
I was going to say he's a man of principle. If I'm going to rip right. your ears off, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, no, look, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed being traumatized by the by both the play and the book. Um, I if is 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 there somewhere that people can get at this content? What's what's the best place for them to head to to? To get uh, at it, do you think? Yeah, tickets are on sale now for the play. So you go to bittenbyproductions.com. Um, mm-hmm. We've got six shows um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for the next two weeks. So jump yep. on there and get a ticket. The book will be selling uh, in the foyer after the show each night for 10 bucks. I'm also going to be selling it at the Movie Maintenance live show, the 100th episode that we're doing, which I believe is on April 29th in Melbourne. Sounds um, right. Be selling some copies there and then I'll figure out other stuff because I know that. With Soundspans, we have an overseas audience, so I'll probably do like an e-book and an audio book type of thing. Kind. That's oh, coming fantastic. in the future, yeah. Where, where can people hit you on Twitter if they want to follow you and send you uh, their complaints about how upset you've made them? Oh, God, there's going to be some complaints. Uh, I'm oh, at Sidekick of Dowie on Twitter. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, Movie Maintenance is the podcast you're on yeah. uh, with Soundspans Radio. And you guys have your own Twitter now, don't you? Is we it- do, uh, at MM Soundspans. Yeah, I that's believe, right. I um, believe is what it's I called. Think, <laughs> sounds right. I'm going to look at my phone right now. Yeah. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure it's at MM Sandfans or it's at M or it's at M Maintenance. Let me have a look real quick. Some some live research. Um, this feels like something we should both know. But for, yeah, it's MM Sandspans. There you go. Yep, that's you got it right the, the first time. Yep, kicking goals right now. Um, look, thank you for coming on and chatting to me about it. I um. I still don't forgive you for what you did to Atkins and, and the characters, but uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to get at me on Twitter, I'm at DCM I Hate Pie, and the team is at DCM underscore works. Uh, this will go up on Wednesday, so if you're in Melbourne and you want to cop the play, uh, just head to the link that we said before. It'll be in the show notes. Um, thanks again for, for coming on the show, man. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks, man. Um, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be getting up to more misery sometime soon. <laughs> cool, really man. Cheers. Thank you.